I'm Mark Middleton along with Bill Schaefer. This is Growing Boulder. And in the next hour, a fascinating conversation with the most famous autistic person alive today. She's an author, a speaker, and HBO even made a movie about her. We will visit with Temple Grandin. Also, we're going to talk to a man who's been compared to Hemingway and Mark Twain, who has just written his best book yet. Wow. And then, is it possible to think like Leonardo da Vinci? Well, one of today's top brain experts will tell you exactly exactly how you can do that. And from Da Vinci to William Tell, (laughs) we'll meet an 85-year-old national champion in archery. Then a lively conversation with a group of women who search for something to get them off the couch got them hooked on kickboxing. This is Growing Boulder. You know, sometimes in life it's not so much about what you know, but who you know. At least that can be a big help in getting your foot in the door. But once you get through, if you want to be able to stay in the game, you're going to need as much talent and skill, if not more, than anybody else. I know where you're going with this, Bill. For a long time, the country knew our next guest mainly because she was best friends with the most famous woman in the world. Now she stepped into the national spotlight on her own. She is the host of CBS This Morning. Can't wait to say hi to the very talented Gail King. Hey, Gail, how are you? Mm, I like that introduction, very talented. Okay, I'll take that. Yeah, you know, that should be part of the CBS Morning Show. I don't know if they'll go, I don't know if they'll go for that, Mark and Bill. I was just thinking, I wanted to talk to people who are over 50 and active. Well, that's us. You're my people. That's us, and and that is our audience. First of all, congratulations on the work you're doing. Uh, How do you like that early morning gig? Well, I like it. I like your introduction about getting your foot in the door. But, you know, I've been anchoring the news for a very, very, very long time. I had anchored the news at a station in Connecticut, the CBS station, actually, in, in Hartford for 18 years. And then before that, I was three years in Kansas City. And before that, I was in Washington, D.C. So I've worked for a very, very, very long time. But you raise a good point. You know, most people, unless you lived in Connecticut or you lived in Kansas City, Um, and watch me on the news, you would only know me as Oprah's friend. You've had such a fascinating view of one of the most meteoric rises anybody could ever hope for. I'm talking about Oprah now because you knew her when she barely had two nickels to rub together. It's been said that maybe the toughest thing for anybody to handle in life is great success, and you've had your share as well. How do you do that? Well, you know, this is the thing. I, I think that if you have a strong sense of who you are, I don't think money and and fame changes you. If you were a jerk before that happened to you, I think money and success only makes you a bigger jerk. And and so for me, I think it's a matter of really I've always been a happy kid from the time I was a little kid, actually. You know, it takes a lot to get me upset. It takes a lot to really tick me off. And and I find, you know, there's a book that says you are who you are in fifth, when you're in kindergarten at the age of five. I think there's a lot of truth <laughs> to that, a lot of truth. You know, one of the, the, the reasons, you know, we, we love you is, A, you are great TV, and by that we mean Do you really love me, or are you just saying that? No, no, no. no. We, 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 are you toying with my emotions? We, we would not even begin to toy with you. I um, would. But but I do really like you. <laughs> uh, okay. but, but you are, you, you know, you're interesting, you're articulate, uh, you look good. But that said, you are in your late 50s, and it, it is, it's exciting to see someone who, whose career is still continuing to rise at that age, especially a woman, because you know better than anybody else, that doesn't happen a lot in your industry. You know, until you just said that, and, and who am I speaking to, Mark or Chabelle? Uh, well, that was Mark who said that. Mark, until you just said you're in your late 50s, I'm like, I'm in my late 50s? Really? But, you know, I never think of it that way. But you're right. I'm 57, and I keep waiting for this grown-up adult feeling to kick in because, honest to God, I feel 38, maybe 39, maybe. But I I never think of someone who's in my late 50s. You know, my, my daughter said to me recently, she's 25, uh, Kirby said, gosh, you're working harder now than you ever did. Aren't you supposed to be slowing down? And 
my response to her was, but isn't it great that I that I don't have to slow down? That's what I think is the beauty of living in the time that I'm living in now. We really do have all sorts of options. Life is always changing, and you never know what the next chapter can be. You know, so I guess if you look at it as starting another chapter, I guess I really am doing that, that this opportunity would come to me at this stage of my life. But I have to say I had a little wince when you said late 50s because I remember when my mom, who's no longer with me, my mom died um, before her, I was 40, about to turn 40. I remember when my mom turned 50, she was 61 at the time, when she died I remember when she turned 50 thinking, God, mom's old. Uh And now that I sit here at 57, I remember there was a time when if you had said somebody was in their late 50s, I would have thought they're an old person. And now that I'm that, I don't feel old at all. We are speaking with Gail King from CBS uh, Good Morning. And, Gail, I didn't mean to, to, to make you wince, but you know what? We all feel the same way. You know, we feel like we're in our 30s and 40s. And don't you think that is part of our responsibility to now own up to how old we are? Because there's nothing wrong with being 57, uh, especially when you're a 57 like Gail King. Oh, not yeah, listen, I never run from it. When people say, ask me my age, I never, uh, I never am shy about saying how old I am. Because I'm actually, to be to be honest with you, really proud to be this age and feel the way I look, feel the way I feel, and look the way I look. I'm really very proud of that. But until you said it, I never thought of late 50s, honest to God. And when I turned 50 years old, I got my um, the AARP magazine. <laughs> they sent me a subscription, and I called them and said, please take me off your list. <laughs> I'm not ready for the AARP magazine yet. Please take me off. See, see, Not Gail, ready. See, Gail, part of the reason that, that, that we, you know, you ask, do you really love me or are you just saying it? One of the reasons we dig people like you is because you are unintentionally inspirational. You're not trying to stand up and say, look at me, you know, be like me. No, that's so true. I like what you just said, unintentionally inspirational. Honest to God, I am so happy to be here, and by here I mean on the planet Earth, to wake up every day and feel really good and excited and energized about what you're doing. You know, can you imagine what a drag it would be to get up every day and hate your job and go, oh, God, i got to go to work today. You know, I'll leave here after I talk to you guys and head over to Oprah Magazine. That's my other job. And I'll be there till 7, 7.30 at night. And I'm so glad that I have something to do and love doing both of them. You see, something else, Gail, you could what? you could play it totally safe. You could keep your head low. You could, you know, have halfway decent jobs the rest of the way through. But no, you're taking risks even now. You had a show on the Oprah Winfrey Network, and you took a risk leaving that behind and jumping to CBS. Are you not, were you not afraid about, of doing that? No, I wasn't in, uh, afraid at all about taking this job because I believe in life you have to take risk. I'm never... Um, an advocate of taking foolish risk. You know, I'm not going to go and do something totally uh, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but I believe in life that you have to take a risk. I had great faith in this organization. I have faith in my abilities. But I also know, listen, CBS hasn't been number one since Captain Kangaroo. So (laughs) we have nowhere to go but up, and I was very flattered and honored to be included or even uh, considered for part of this team. We each bring something unique and different, um, to 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 the combination and i have to say knock on wood so far so good but no was i worried i i wanted to do well and i will work very hard to make it so but i i wasn't really nervous about it no i was i was excited i was excited it is a great team, and you are real, and that's what makes you work. And I don't know whether you're aware of it or not, but Bill and I are both refugees from local news. We quit because we got tired of being part of the nightly crime report that local news has become. That's so funny, uh, refugees from local uh, news. And I hope you're going to tell us something we want to hear, because you are, uh, you know, a, a media mogul in a sense. We've got a television show, Gail, that is on 564 stations nationwide on public broadcasting, and we still have trouble finding corporate sponsors for people that want to we've got a great connection with a very powerful audience why do the 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 decision makers in major corporations uh, and some media organizations have this disrespect for the 50 plus demographic i know that's always interesting to me that way of thinking because normally you're at your i went to the doctor the other day for a physical and she said to me that gail you are in the prime of your life i said really i'm in the prime 
She said, yes, as a woman, you're in your prime. And I think that we've gotten to the stage where they put so much focus on, what is the demographic, 18 to 35 or something? Yeah. You know, 18 to 35, many times you are still figuring yourself out. I'd like to think by the time you hit 40 and certainly by the time you, have, you hit 50, you have a general sense of who you are and what your capabilities are. And you're also in a pretty good uh, income earning bracket if all goes according to plan. So I really don't understand the thinking of why people think that younger is better or younger is more vibrant. But I, I do think that that's changing somewhat. You don't? Well, we've really struggled, you know. Our show, uh, if, if you check it out, I mean, we've got we get accolades from programmers. We we make a connection with audiences, but yet we and and people that we talk to and corporations all say, "Oh boy, it's it's fantastic." You're just not our primary demographic, so we'll choose to spend our money elsewhere. Well, we're a very big group. This group of baby boomers is huge. Yeah, it is getting better, and uh, you know, and and we do think we're reaching a tipping point, and and we and we certainly hope so. Tell us what your passions are, Gail. I mean, outside of work, what we know of your work with the magazine and with TV. Uh, you know, what floats your boat? What gets you excited? Well, this is so funny that you should say this because I just said the other day I went to uh, Tyler Perry's house over the weekend. You guys know Tyler. Perry. Oh yeah. Talk about well, local. not personally, but yes. Oh, he he's amazing, and um, went to Tyler Perry's house, Oprah and I. You know, she has some kids here from South Africa, so we went to Atlanta to see Tyler Perry's latest Medea play, mm. and we stayed at Tyler's house, and he was talking about he collects airplanes, like those little model airplanes, right? And he's got he's got a huge collection of these model airplanes, and Oprah and I both said, God, we need a hobby. <laughs> I don't have a hobby. I said, whenever anybody asks me, my hobby is fine dining. Right. I have to come up with something. <laughs> That's a good I one. I asked Tyler, is there anything I could collect? Is there anything I could do? So, I'm, you know, when people say, what are your passions? Listen, I, I'm a big TV junkie. I love TV. I love eating. I love traveling. I love laying in the sun. But I, I just said the other day, Mark and Bill, I need a hobby. What could I do? And I love music. I love, 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 love music. I went to Bruce Springsteen's concert the other day mm. at Madison Square Garden. He's somebody else who's over 50. Yep. He's, he's jumping around the stage at the age of 62. Oh, my gosh. It must be good to, uh, uh, to be Gail King. And, and certainly we know you weren't dropping names. But in that last story, we got uh, Tyler Perry, we got Oprah Winfrey, and we got Bruce Springsteen. Uh, Gail King, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on all your success, and we will definitely be tuning into CBS every morning to check you out. Coming up, a group of grandmothers who decided they're willing to fight to stay fit. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Located in West Orange County, Orlando Health's Health Central Hospital is a full-service hospital with an accredited chest pain center and heart failure program, as well as top-rated neurospine and orthopedic programs. Learn more at orlandohealth.com. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingboulder.com. I'm Bill Schaefer alongside Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder. We always like to point out how in life it really is never too late, never too late to try something new, to get involved in something you like, or just to pursue your interest. And now we're going to take you out to meet a couple of folks who will convince you that if they can do it, so can you. Yeah, first up is a guy named Bob Worrell. He doesn't move very quickly these days, and he is kind of a quiet guy. But Bob has always had a keen eye for the things he likes in life. He loves to compete, and as he got older, he became more and more interested in the sport of archery. And Bill, this was before all the fascination with the Hunger Games. For a long time, he just did it for the fun of it. He even set up an archery range in his own backyard. But he began to realize that he had a pretty darn good eye for arrows. And when he discovered that there was an archery division in the senior games, well, he signed right up. And the result, you might say, was archery's version of the shot heard around the world. He takes aim, steady eye, smooth release. And where did it go? Right in the middle. I can tell when they don't make any noise. <laughs> well, things have been pretty quiet for Bob Worrell lately. 
in one of the oldest sports known to man, one of the oldest men ever to play the sport, did something remarkable. Not only did he win the gold medal at the National Senior Games, but he also set a new world record at the age of 85. For my age, that's pretty good. <laughs> Guess you could call Burrell a late bloomer. He was in his 30s when he tried archery for the first time, and he's been hitting the bullseye ever since. It's a challenge, I guess. It's, it's pretty nice to be able to direct the arrows to where you'd like to see them. And needless to say, it's a job to do. It's a challenge he never gets tired of. Forget about the golf course. If you're looking for Worrell, here's where you'll find him, his backyard range. I shoot maybe an hour, an hour and a half every day, and sometimes longer. He works to keep his keen concentration, a steady hand, and a sharp eye. The name of the game is sighting. You want to get a bow that you can pull back and hold it steady, and aim and aim until you're on, and then release it. And what makes his accomplishments even more amazing, Worrell shoots the most difficult style of archery there is, bare bow. I don't have any visual aids at all. See, the bow has no sight. I have no release triggers. I have to aim it, hold, and concentrate on hitting the spot and hope that it works. It's been working great so far. All the practice has not only helped him set archery records, but may even account for his healthy medical records. Okay. That's what the doctors want to know. He said, I hope I can live to be as old as you are and as active. I've had it two or three tell me that. And doctors aren't the only ones who can learn something from Bob Worrell. Well, you get to thinking about how long will it go on, you know, and see the next senior games is two years from now. That's in California. Maybe I'll never make it. That's the reason I, I thought, well, you never know what you can accomplish if you set out. You can't do it sitting still. Make an effort. I love that story, uh, Bill. Uh, that, of course, folks, is Bob Worrell, who at the age of 85, not only is the oldest archer to participate in the National Senior Games, but the guy won the gold medal and is a national record holder. Just goes to show, folks, that no matter if you're just a seemingly ordinary person who's never been overly athletic, uh, never been able to have a great sense of accomplishment, it's never too late to set uh, uh, some goals for yourself and make your mark on the world. And that should give us all hope that it's never too late to do this. Same. Yeah, sometimes all you need is the right push to get you going. And once you get out of the chair and into the world, you never really know where the current is going to take you. And that's what happened to this next group of women who call themselves the kickboxing grannies. They've got a similar story in the fact that they knew they needed to do some sort of exercise, but they couldn't get motivated until they joined a local gym and signed up for a kickboxing aerobics class. Don't forget the punches. Turn, turn, kick. Turn, turn, kick. Spend some time at this workout class and you'll never look at aging the same way again. These women are here to get in shape and they're willing to fight to do it. Learn how to protect yourself, you know, and then you kick. Without falling down, that is. <laughs> they're battling their way to better health using basic martial arts, the kind you use in kickboxing. And it's working for women of all ages. I'm a 60 years old. I'm 77. You know, everyone thinks that exercise is really hard, and I did too. And what you need, what I needed, was accountability. Coming to a class with other people or getting a personal trainer has really helped me because I'm finding out when I'm accountable, accountable to somebody, then I'm doing it. I won't push myself like they push me. Step, slide, kick, together, step. Again. The man doing the pushing in this program is Tim Wright. He's a black belt himself and a celebrated kickboxer. As much as he's motivating them, they've inspired him. It definitely keeps me motivated to stay fit, just because um, I think we can... We can break new boundaries, you know. Um, we're breaking them every day now. The, the, it's just our life expectancy is getting longer and longer. And it's not just being alive. It's having a healthy physical, you know, as well as mental. When they get in the, in the door and they see that they can do it, they get empowered. They, they get where they, they really feel strong about themselves. And then they see results and they see that their flexibility changes. The doctor said, stay active all your life. You've got to stay active. And I just took him on his word. 
and I just never stops. Isn't this a time when you should be winding down and not doing things like this? I did that, and I didn't feel good. I was depressed, I had anxiety, I gained weight, you know, and now I'm feeling better mentally and physically. And the best news is, finding a place to take a kickboxing exercise class near you is getting easier all the time. It's interesting. It's, it's funny somewhat, but um, it's also just, like you said, mind-blowing. But it's, it's getting more common than you think. It's actually everywhere, you know. There's a person like me in just about every gym and everywhere in the, in the country doing this. So um, it's, it's getting out there. So if there's one message, one takeaway from this, what would it be? Don't stop moving. I'd like to tell you about something that happened to us recently I thought was pretty revealing. The topic of aging really has become a hot-button issue, and programs like this are part of the reason why. Now, the people that we have on this show are all redefining what being over 40 and 50 really is about. And this isn't just news for any people who have a few years under their belt. This is important news for anyone of any age. Because of that, we get a lot of requests for speaking engagements, and Mark had one that was just amazing. It was full of business people, entrepreneurs, people who think out of the box and see nothing but possibilities when they look at the opportunities of life. Yeah, but it was a lot of fun. And you're talking about a talk that was sponsored by one of the top graduate business schools in the nation, the Crummer Business School at Rollins College. And really no sooner had I begun when I realized that pretty much everybody in the audience was smiling. And I mean, they got it. They, as much as any other group we've talked to, understood how much potential still exists in all of us, even after the age of 40 or 50 or 80. The potential is there to start a whole new business, to embark on a new career, to maximize the knowledge and the experience that we all have in some exciting and fulfilling ways. They were really interested to hear the Growing Boulder story because our story does offer hope and inspiration to people of all ages. Our story at Growing Boulder is about taking risk, about finding ways to do what you believe in and the things you're passionate about doing. And ultimately, our message is about patience and perseverance. Growing Boulder is something we started about 10 years ago. We still feel we're at the very, very beginning of where we want to go. Was it a huge risk? Absolutely. We all walked away from great jobs. Was it worth it? You bet it is. And that's what each person in the auditorium understood. Life is about challenges. Life is about taking risk. But you stand the best chance of meeting those challenges and taking advantage of those risks if you take a step and if you start Growing Boulder. Coming up, you know what made Da Vinci such a genius? Michael Gelb does. He'll tell you how to put a little Da Vinci into your life next. Support for Growing Boulder provided by The Center for Health and Well-Being, opening in late 2018 in Winter Park, will bring wellness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. Learn more at wellbeingnetwork.org. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingboulder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder, the show where we take all those preconceived notions and misconceptions you have about getting older, and we trash them to bits. Right now, we're going to take on one of the biggest fallacies of all, and that is the belief that as you get older, your brain simply wears out, that your memory starts to go, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, and we don't want you to take our word for it, which is why we sought out a true pioneer in the fields of creative thinking, accelerated learning, and innovative leadership. And folks, we're not the only ones that are impressed. He regularly leads seminars for DuPont, Microsoft, and Nike, and he's written a book that will absolutely blow your mind or at least sharpen it some. It's called Brain Power, Improve Your Mind as You Age. Let's say hello to Michael Gelb. Hey, Michael, how are you? 
Great. Thank you very much. You know, we often talk to some very accomplished Masters athletes on, on this show, and these guys are doing amazing things. But no matter how hard they work, and many of them do it full time, uh, th- their times, their performances do seem to deteriorate over time. It kind of makes sense that the brain would do the same thing. Are we wrong about that? Uh, that is the good news. Yes, you are wrong. <laughs> well, th- well that is, that's great news. It, it is great news. And, you know, let's, let's, let's lay it on the line right up front. I'm, I'm about to turn 60. I've been teaching this kind of material for the last 30 years or more, but now it's really serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hitting home, isn't it? Yeah, well, here's the deal. Uh, I just had a total knee replacement. You know why? Because my knee wore out. I used it a lot. I played a lot of tennis and basketball. Uh, Two years ago, I had a hip replacement. So parts of us do wear out over time. The good news is that we can replace some of those parts like knees and hips. But the even better news is that the brain doesn't wear out with use. As a matter of fact, it's designed to improve with use. Wow. Now, I think 10 years ago, you probably would have answered this question a lot more concisely and clearly, but does... Get it? Does science back that up, or is that just anecdotal from what you've learned? Well, that's the real. No, that that's the really good news. Is I, you know, thirty years ago, I was teaching this and and was a little bit ahead of the curve on 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 science because you know we all grew up uh, with what I call the neurostatic paradigm. Uh, we, based on the science of the fifties, believed that the brain's capacity was fixed at age five, and after age thirty, it would begin to decline, and there was nothing that you could do about it. And in the last 30 years, there's been a paradigm shift, a complete revolution. Uh, science now confirms that your brain is designed to improve with you. So the term that uh, people may be familiar with is neuroplasticity. Neuro means brain cell plasticity, flexible, changeable, and adaptable. And in interviewing neuroscientists for uh, brain power, uh, there was a consensus that uh, the paradigm has shifted. Your brain's designed to improve with use. The only real question is, what is the best way to use it? And that's why I wrote the book, to try to present the research-validated, practical, simple things that the average person can do to improve their minds as they age. And it's obvious, Michael, that we need to do it. Uh, so so let's, let, let's learn what you've written about in, in Brain Power, because as you say, the good news is our brains can actually get better. The reality is that for most people, uh, it, it does not. You know, they're either not doing something, they're eating the wrong things, or, or whatever it is. What can we do? Well, the first, the first thing, that it's, and there, there's a commonsensical reason that it comes first, it is to change your attitude dramatically, to really integrate into your everyday behavior and orientation this notion of neuroplasticity, because it does indeed become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, Dr. Becca Levy studied uh, 650 people over the course of many years. Those with a positive attitude towards aging outlived those with a negative attitude towards aging by more than seven and a half years on average. So, Attitude makes a tremendous difference. And I tell people, you know, the reason I put the, uh, the, the chapter on positive attitude, on optimism, on embracing gratitude, forgiveness, and humor every single day is if you have that positive attitude, well, first of all, you're more likely to do everything else I tell you to do in the book. <laughs> and you are strengthening your immune system on a daily basis. We now know through the discipline of psychoneuroimmunology that the way you think, your attitude affects your immune system moment to moment. It also affects your alertness and your memory. So the second principle that we introduce in the book is the importance of continuous learning. Learning something new every day, challenging your brain, all it takes is 15 minutes. Uh, Professor Joe Vergese, classic study, New England Journal of Medicine, uh, found that the, the very best activities Uh, for people to strengthen their minds as they get older, and by the way, prevent dementia and Alzheimer's, Uh, mental sports like chess and bridge, Uh, learning uh, something like a musical instrument or a new language. Some German researchers found that learning to juggle 15 minutes a day for three months 
resulted in significant improvements in the development of both the gray and white matter of the adult brain. So the juggling experiment, by the way, is really significant because it not only validates something that I always felt intuitively, having uh, worked my way through graduate school as a professional juggler, but <laughs> it was one of the benchmark studies in, in creating this new paradigm because what changed? What changed in the last 30 years is technology. All of a sudden, we could look at your brain on an MRI or brain scan, and we could see that when you learn something new, like learning to juggle or playing chess or bridge, for example, your brain was changing. And, and we used to think this was impossible. So I tried to get underneath it. What if you don't want to play chess or learn how to juggle? Uh, the real core seems to be something new, something unfamiliar, something challenging, 15 minutes a day. That is not too much to ask to improve your mind as you get older. Nah, but, you know, we're a, a, a society that would much rather take a pill and let that do it for us. And you hear a lot about supplements out there that make you sharper. I mean, do those things work? Well, people do want, I do think you're right. They're always looking for, uh, uh, I call it, you know, the Viagra of the mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, having said that, nutrition is really important. And again, I try to get to the essence of, well, I, you know, a lot of, I asked these neuroscientists when I interviewed them, what do you take? <laughs> what supplements do you take? You know, it starts really, really simply multivitamin, multimineral on a daily basis. Uh, it's worth looking into probiotics. Uh, D3, uh, fish oil. Uh, it's a pretty simple, strong, strong research validation to all of these things, as well as just some dietary practices that uh, will enrich the quality of your life, uh, like taking time to be mindful and enjoy dining, share a meal with someone that you like or love on a regular basis. And, and some of the best news that uh, my readers are thrilled to hear is there's uh, reams of research that in moderation, red wine and dark chocolate are really good for you, uh, as is that uh, cup of coffee in the morning. Well, that is outstanding news, <laughs> and there's a whole lot more of it, folks. Uh, it's in a book called Brain Power. It is written by the very compelling Michael Gelb. Michael, I wish we had more time. We're going to have to try to get you back on because we still have lots of questions. But thanks for spreading the good news, and folks, check out the book. It's a good read. Up next, he's been described as a cross between Hemingway and Twain, but it wasn't until he was diagnosed with prostate cancer that one of America's best storytellers found his most heartfelt story. Support for Growing Boulder provided by The Masson Spine Institute, where world-renowned, minimally invasive techniques lead to fast recovery. The Masson Spine Institute, excellence in spinal surgery. More information at MassonSI.com. Growing Boulder is on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to connect with the most inspiring people online. Surround yourself with the motivation needed to live large at any age. The following interview was recorded before the passing of our guest. Welcome back to Growing Boulder Radio. We are your hosts, Mark Middleton and Bill Schaefer. And this segment is for every one of us because sooner or later, unfortunately, we're all most likely going to have that experience of having a doctor look at us very earnestly and say, I'm sorry, there's just something that's not quite right. Yeah, you know it's coming sooner or later. That's what happened to our next guest, as a matter of fact. Right before he turned 65, the doctor told him he had prostate cancer. And well, that led to 46 intensive wow. radiation treatments. But interestingly, he happens to be an accomplished author, considered the greatest storyteller in America today, the closest thing that we have to a living, breathing Mark Twain type. Anyway, he decided to create what's turned out to be a wonderful, warm, funny, and insightful look into life in a book called The Great Northern Express, A Writer's Journey Home. Let's say hi to Howard Frank Mosier. Hey, Howard, how are you? Well, good. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. What a, what an interesting uh, inspiration for a book. Tell us a little bit about how that turned out. Well, uh, on my way to the uh, post office about five years ago, expecting as always that I would find a check for a, a million dollars there, 
even though I think the last check I found was a uh, royalty statement for about $18.45. As, as you said, I discovered a notification from my doctor indicating that my, uh, my prostate blood work was off, so I had the 46 radiation treatments and then decided to do something that I had wanted to do for a long time, and that is set out on a 100-store, uh, 150-city um, book tour to visit the independent bookstores of America and um, promote my new book. Kind of, kind of a Jack Kerouac thing. Yes, it was. That's that's right. Uh, one of my one of my favorite authors. Fifty years ago, I went in a twenty-year-old, uh, falling apart uh, Chevy that I nicknamed the the Loser Cruiser <laughs> with uh, two hundred and eighty thousand miles on the odometer, but uh, it held up pretty well, and I did. Uh, spend the rest of that summer and on into the fall crisscrossing the country and, and visiting the great independent bookstores. You, you know what? Don't take this the wrong way because certainly we would hope no, uh, wish no bad upon anyone. But sometimes when bad things happen to great writers, in a weird way, we all benefit from that because you have the ability to, you know, to, to share with us your observations and put in an eloquent way lessons that, that, that we need to learn in our own lives. What did you learn from this trip? Well, uh, the trip, be, besides uh, expanding my, my somewhat uh, limited uh, readership beyond New England by maybe a few thousand uh, readers, gave me an opportunity to think about my life as a writer in um, northern Vermont. I live in the little remote northeastern corner of Vermont called the Northeast Kingdom, and most of my books are set there. And as I said in the Great Northern Express, the trip gave me an opportunity to reflect uh, not on, on what I uh, loved enough to, to die for, but what I loved enough to, to live for. My, my life in the kingdom, my writing, reading, my family. And in that respect, it was uh, a very illuminating uh, uh, trip. Uh, everybody's always looking for great reads, and I'm telling you folks that you have got to look up some of his stories because you've written a dozen books uh, right around there that aren't just liked. I mean, they're loved. The Associated Press compared you to the best of Mark Twain. The L.A. Times said if you combine Hemingway and Thoreau, they'd have you. I mean, nobody says things like that about anybody, yet you're sort of like the undiscovered author out there. Well, the, the Hemingway and Thoreau quote has always amused me. I love both writers, but, but I've always uh, wondered what it is in me that um, uh, motivated someone to compare me to a misanthrope and a drunk. <laughs> but, uh, you answered your own question there, Howard. I, I think I did. That's, that's right. Most of my books are set right, right here in the Northeast Kingdom, and... Uh, I came here 50 years ago, immediately out of college, thinking that I would uh, teach in a local high school for a year or two, save some money, and then move on to uh, bigger and better things. What I found was a gold mine of stories nobody had ever told before, and here I still am telling them uh, 50 years later. You know, it is not uh, unusual, Frank, now that I hear you, that, that that you and Bill Schaefer would be kindred spirits because he is a three-time storyteller of the year in uh, in electronic journalism. And it and really does seem like storytelling, storytellers, you know, there's kind of a renaissance. People are appreciating stories. What is it about the power of the story that, that is appealing so much to not only individuals but corporations today? Well, I think that they, they connect us to a world that might might otherwise be slipping away in this electronic era. They, good stories uh, connect us to family. They connect us to nature. You mentioned uh, Mark Twain and, and Hemingway. It's impossible to imagine uh, Twain uh, without the, the Mississippi and that natural world or Hemingway without the natural world um, of fishing and hunting that he that he wrote about. I think uh, good stories often connect us to communities. One of the toughest books that I had to write was 
my um, novel, A Stranger in the Kingdom, which was about a racist incident that happened just up the street in my tiny village in, in northern Vermont. It was the kind of thing you might think would happen in Mississippi in the 1930s, but it happened in recent times in, in Vermont. But again, the story was a, was a connection to um, a time and a place and um, an important um, way, of, way of life that needed to be revealed. Talking with Howard Frank Mosier, a fantastic author. You really need to check out his work. And, and you talked about it in this latest book how it was uh, kind of like summed up what it was that you wanted to fight through your prostate cancer treatments to live for. Now that you're through them, what's life like for you? Is it as fulfilling as you hoped it would be? Well, yes. I'm, um, I'm doing essentially the same thing that I've done all my life. I've started a couple new uh, novels. I uh, sometimes joke that I write all day and read all night, and I do. And one of the great um, benefits of the book tour was that in visiting the terrific independent bookstores of the country, I was able to talk about not just my new book, but books in general with independent booksellers who uh, who sell books the old-fashioned way as one independent bookstore uses as its model, uh, the independent booksellers read books. And so I think that uh, what, I, what I was given by the diagnosis was something infinitely better than a million dollars. I was given some time to continue to do the things I love to do, read and, and write and, uh, and live in the Northeast Kingdom. Well, the book is called The Great Northern Express, but if you want to experience true storytelling at its best, check out any of the books by Howard Frank Mosier, and you are absolutely going to want to read them all. This latest one about how his battle with prostate cancer only increased his resolve to want to live, and once he got better, he didn't just sit there and say, here I am. He went out on a tour trying to check out all of those places that that make the area, this country, uh, as individual and as great as it is. Howard Frank Mosier. Thank you so much. Coming up, she's the voice of autism all over the world. We'll visit with the amazing Temple Grandin. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the UCF College of Medicine, where physicians, scientists, and teachers are discovering innovative solutions for today's medical challenges and bringing them to you. Learn more about the college's physician practice at ucfhealth.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble to neglect. Hi, Mark Middleton. Bill Schaefer is alongside, and you're listening to one of the most empowering shows on the radio, a little something we call Growing Bolder. When our next guest was four, her mother knew there was something wrong. She rarely uttered a word. She hated to be touched, and she would frequently go into a rage. Her parents were told she was brain damaged and recommended moving her to a facility. Now, that was back in the 50s, and we really knew nothing about autism, but it's something so common that chances are you know somebody born with it. Our next guest has gone on to become the most famous autistic person in the world. She's an award-winning author, speaker, professor, P. PhD and a scientist whose ideas revolutionized the humane handling of livestock. HBO even made a movie about her incredible life that won nearly every award in its category. Now we get the chance to meet her. Please welcome Dr. Temple Grandin. Hey, doctor, how are you? It's just wonderful to be here. Well, what a great uh, introduction there. I mean, I bet there were times when your parents thought, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen with this little girl? Well, fortunately, mother got some very good early advice from a neurologist at Boston Children's Hospital who recommended speech therapy school. And when I went into the speech therapy school, she could see that I was, um, you know, starting to make some progress. So, you know, the people that wanted to put me in institutions, she was able to fight them off and because uh, she could see that, uh, you know, I was gradually learning to speak and, 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 and doing progress. And I can't emphasize enough the importance of early educational intervention. If you have a two- or three-year-old child that's not talking, sitting and rocking, the worst thing you can do is to do nothing. 
Is there a set course, Dr. Grandin, for uh, people who have autism, or is it still, you know, if you happen to get the right therapist, you'll get the right treatment, but you really got to be careful where you go? Autism, as it comes in, there are all degrees of severity. Very mildly autistic. You're kind of a geek and a nerd, like um, Steve Jobs or Einstein, who didn't <laughs> talk until age three. You know, many school systems would label Einstein as autistic. Then you've got much more severe, where you have language, uh, no language, you may have epilepsy and other medical problems on top of it. So you've got a disorder here that ranges from, you know, maybe a benefit for people out there in Silicon Valley, and there's a lot of people in Silicon Valley that probably have, you know, some degree of autism. And a little bit of the autism, you take out some social circuits, you get some circuits for figuring out how to build stuff like radio stations. Hmm. And, uh, Dr. Grandin, that no doubt explains, at least to some degree, the title of your latest book. It's called Different, Not Less. Uh, and, it, and it takes us into how we can improve the lives of people with autism, Asperger's, or even ADHD. And you mentioned the importance of early intervention. Can you give us a sense of what the book is about? Well, the book is 14 stories of uh, people that were diagnosed with autism, Asperger's, ADHD later on in life. And they mainly got diagnosed later on in life because their marriages were having problems and their relationships had a lot of problems. But all of the people in the book, and they all write in their own words. You know, we had to do quite a lot of editing on it. But uh, it's their own words describing their childhoods, describing school experiences, describing early jobs and their employment and their relationships. And one of my big concerns right now is we've got a lot of young people that they aren't learning work skills. And all of the 14 people had childhood jobs. They learned work skills, things like paper wraps, working in a store, selling chocolate uh, Easter candy, uh, you know, getting out and doing things in the work world. Now, their lives were difficult. It wasn't easy, but they've been employed all their life. And, and I'm a big proponent of... Uh, getting middle school kids uh, doing some work things, maybe mow lawns, walk dogs, uh, fix computers for people, uh, make greeting cards and sell them, work at a farmer's market. Those would all be good things for teenage kids to do. And I think this book will be helpful to uh, anybody that uh, you know, has a, a, a child, you know, on the, you know, fully, fully verbal child, labeled autism, Asperger's, ADHD, especially when they get into middle school and the title of the book is Different, Not Less. You know, one of, one of the things I hope people do, Dr. Grandin, is I hope everybody reads all of your books because they're not really just about one topic. They kind of are, are fascinating because they're about how we as people think. And you see things in such a different way than most of us. I'd love to get your thoughts on growing older or aging. You know, some of us fear it. Some of us ignore it. Some of us embrace it. How do you see it? Well, a person with autism is a bottom-up thinker. And so you form your conclusions about things by searching the Internet inside your head and comparing something you're experiencing now with something back in the past. And, when, and with bottom-up thinking, the more information you can fill up the database with, the better I think. You know, the more web pages I have inside my head for my search engine to surf. And, and also the um, HBO movie did a really good job of showing how I think in pictures. Some people on the spectrum think in pictures, like me. They'd be good at things like art, industrial design. Absolutely couldn't do algebra. Then there's another kind of kid that's good in math, and they often have trouble with reading. And then a third type is really good at words. They'd make good journalists. I've interviewed some of the radio journalists that I'm pretty sure were on the spectrum. The mathematicians, they're your computer programmers. They're your um, engineers and your physicists and your statisticians. We are talking with uh, Dr. Temple Grandin, an award-winning author, speaker, professor, a scientist uh, whose life story was told in an award-winning HBO film. Uh, Dr. Grandin, you make it clear that the last thing we want to do is prevent autism. Why so? Well, a little bit of the crate, and you get a computer programmer out in Silicon Valley, or you get Van Gogh, and I wrote about Van Gogh in one of my earlier books, Thinking in Pictures. You get too much of the trait, you get a very, very severe handicap. And the genetics of autism is exceedingly complicated. And you're talking about little tiny variations in the genetic code on many, many different genes. So a little bit of the trait, you take out some social, may give an advantage. Who do you think made the first stone spear? It wasn't the yak-yak social people around the campfire. <laughs> you get too much of the trait, 
and you get a very, very severe handicap. So, so what do you say to people? I mean, it, it's common. You hear commonly now that people say that autism is, is, is the result of vaccinations that, that, that children shouldn't have gotten. Is there any truth to that? Well, there's a very big genetic component of autism, but there is starting to be increasing evidence that some kind of environmental insults can interact with susceptible genetics. You know, we need to be looking at things like pesticides, plasticizers, because some of these um, substances act as endocrine disruptors Mm. and uh, can interfere with reproduction. And that could interact with susceptible genetics. Um, There's a lot that's not known. Uh, but it, there's a big genetic component, but there also is some environmental component, too, on the genetics. Temple, you have already in life done something that all of us aspire to. You have made the world a better place because you have been here on a number of levels. What do you hope the rest of us can learn from the journey that your life has taken you on? Well, first of all, to achieve something, it's a lot of hard work. And when you read the Different Not Less book, um, all of these people had to work really hard to you know, do the things that they do. And the people's jobs in the book range from the high level, computer, doctor, veterinarian, to a, uh, things like tour guide and retail store employee. I wanted to have a real broad range. Another person is a psychiatric assistant. Um, and so I had a broad range of skills. Uh, but it was hard work. To achieve, it's hard work. You also have to work on something on a sustained basis for a long period of time. It doesn't happen overnight. On my cattle handling stuff, I worked, you know, 25 years uh, just working on getting people to stop rough handling. I first of all started out work designing better equipment. In fact, uh, both of the plants here in Colorado have my center track restrainer system. And, and, and then you have to work on managing it right. And let me interrupt you there just so I can uh, point out to people, you've become such a great inspiration to everybody uh, that, that we all feel like we know you. And all of your books contain different elements that we can learn about each other in life and about how our minds work. I want to remind people that your latest book is called Different Not Less. More information is available at Temple Grandin. What a great visit with Dr. Temple Grandin. It is incredible how fast an hour can fly by when you're talking about ways to put the spark back (laughs) in your life. And this is a program where we prove that hope and inspiration are qualities that never fade because opportunities do surround us. And no matter what your circumstances, there are changes you can make to lead a more rich and vibrant, fulfilling life. And, you know, the fun does not stop there. In the coming weeks, you will hear from more people who are not just talking the talk. They are living their lives in a way that defies conventional wisdom people who are getting everything out of life they can. People still setting goals, breaking records, seeking new adventures. The good news is any of these guest folks could be you if you just get out there and start growing bold. Give it a try. You might just like it. We'll see you online, and if not there, we'll see you back here very soon. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting, all rights reserved. This program was recorded live at the studios of WMFE Orlando. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Jackie Carlin, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producer is Katie Widrick. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Remember, when it comes to Growing Boulder, it's not about age. It's about attitude. Crim-